0: Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphian Video. This episode looks at trial in the life of the believer of God and shows how trials are designed to perfectly teach us. It teaches us to put our trust in God and not in ourselves. Trial is not to be avoided but rather to be received joyfully, knowing that it will help us grow to become acceptable to God.
1: The trials of life are something that I think none of us really wants to go through. Trials are difficult. They're hard and they're unpleasant. And if it were left up to us, I think most people would choose to avoid them altogether. It would be far better, or so we might think, if we could go through life without them. But yet, that's not the reality. Trials are very much a part of life, although they can vary drastically in terms of their severity. And they can be quite different from one person to the next. But one thing is for certain, trials play a very important role in the life of a disciple of Christ. And we'll consider just what that is in our thoughts this evening and also really how trial can help to build endurance. But an endurance of a very perhaps different kind than we might be accustomed to. So what is our agenda for this evening? Well, first of all, we're going to have a look at physical endurance. What are really are the two components that make up physical endurance, we're going to have a look at spiritual endurance, what is spiritual endurance and how does the Bible talk about it, we're going to have a look at why trial is necessary, what is the need for trial, and then how trial can build endurance, and really there's again two characteristics that trial, in particular, that trial helps to build and why is it that those are necessary. Then we're going to have a look at getting through trial. When we do face trial in our lives, it's important that we know how to get through them and some ideas on how we can do just that. And then finally, some examples of spiritual endurance. What example can we take from the faithful of old and how to endure through the trials of life? So first of all, we're going to have a look at physical endurance. What is endurance? If you were to look at a definition of it, uh, Webster's Dictionary has this to say, it says it's the ability to withstand hardship or adversity. If you were to look at dictionary.com, it says the ability or strength to continue or last, especially despite fatigue, stress, or other adverse conditions. And so endurance is what you might call a lasting quality. It's the ability to keep going even when things get tough. And endurance, perhaps, maybe it's a bit easier to understand in terms of its physical qualities. So let's just consider what physical endurance is in relation to an athlete. Perhaps that's something we may be able to uh, appreciate. So physical endurance is your body's physical capability to sustain an exercise for an extended period of time. So for instance, someone running a marathon has to have physical endurance or they're not going to get very far. But physical endurance is really made up of a couple of different components. And the first is what, uh, what's called cardiovascular endurance. So really it's the ability of your heart and lungs to fuel your body with oxygen, really a necessary part if you're uh, a component, if you're going to run a marathon, if you're going to have any type of endurance that you need it for. And then there's another type of endurance, and that is muscular endurance. Really, that's the ability of your muscles to work continuously without getting tired. And so for an athlete to be successful, they have to develop both of these types of endurance. The first one, cardiovascular endurance, strengthens the heart and the lungs to be able to provide them with the necessary oxygen they need when they're running and the second muscular endurance really trains the muscles to be able to keep going despite continual use and as we might expect neither of these things are going to improve without practice it takes training and continual practice to develop the physical endurance that an athlete needs to be successful if they just intend to sit idly by they can't expect that their bodies endurance is going to improve. But what we're interested in tonight is not so much how our body's physical endurance works, but how these things relate to spiritual endurance. We'll consider a little bit later, though, that these physical qualities of endurance have some interesting uh, counterparts. And so while perhaps we may or may not be concerned with our physical endurance, we all need to develop spiritual endurance. But before we consider spiritual endurance, let's see how the Apostle Paul describes this idea of physical endurance. And this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you want to look this up, uh, you can as well. But I, I have it here from the ESV because I think it helps to capture this idea well. And so the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, said, And so here, Paul is describing for us what an athlete does to win a race. An athlete needs to exercise self control in all things. And all of the training that they've done to improve the ability of their muscles to perform and their their heart and their lungs to sustain them is really conditioning their their body to perform. It's preparing themselves, preparing their body to perform in an optimal, optimal condition to succeed. And it's really, as, as the Apostle Paul says, bringing their body under self-control. But as Paul points out, in a race, only one, pois- only one person is going to win the prize. And it's one that is perishable. It's going to decay. But the race that we should be concerned with is on an entirely different plane altogether. Its prize has an imperishable reward. And there are many who will receive this reward, not just one. And so similar to how an athlete would prepare for a race, we too need to prepare for our race. We need to, as he says, discipline our body and keep it under control. We can't let our emotions and our desires go unchecked. They have to be brought under control through self-discipline. But there's another aspect that Paul brings out in his letter to the Philippians that's really necessary whether you're going to maintain physical or spiritual endurance. So if you come with me over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll pick it up at verse 13. It says there, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So he says there was one thing that was necessary for Paul to do to maintain his endurance. It was keeping his focus on what lay in front of him and not behind him. What had already happened, those things that were behind him, well, they, they couldn't be changed. But what he could do something about was what was still in front of him. An athlete needs to keep their sights firmly fixed on their goal. Or they can easily get pulled off course. We, too, have a mark that we're striving towards, as, as he calls it here. It's the prize of the high calling of God. It's eternal life and we can't let the distractions of life or those things that are behind pull us off course either we can't change the past but we can do something about the future and if we're going to be able to maintain our spiritual endurance we have to know what our end goal is we have to keep it in front of us at all times Well, so then, what is spiritual endurance? Let's see how scripture uses the term. If you come with me back to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, and we'll pick it up at verse 22. It says there, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And so here was Christ teaching to the disciples about endurance. Endurance was a very necessary characteristic. And he says, if we can endure to the end, we'll be saved. But endurance is also known as another characteristic. And actually, the Greek word here for endureth in this verse is the word hupomino. And it's translated in other passages as patient. So really we have the idea of patience being a synonymous term to that of endurance. If we endure to the end, we are being patient unto the end. And so perhaps the idea of patience might bring to mind a few more examples from our daily life for us than that of endurance. But in our reading in Hebrews chapter 12, Patience was a necessary characteristic. If you come with me back to Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, we'll pick it up at verse 1. It says there, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, And the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So here we have again the race that Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And it's comparing our walk towards the kingdom as a race. And in order to finish that race, we have to have patience. And the Greek word here for patience actually means endurance. We have to run this race with endurance, and what it's referring to is spiritual endurance. But there are some obstacles that can get in our way of building endurance. So the, the writer to the Hebrews here describes them as a weight or sin. And for a runner to be successful, they would need to get rid of any unnecessary weights on their body. This extra weight would only make running that much more challenging. But the same is true in our own lives. Any extra weight only makes it more difficult for us to make progress. And the weight being referred to here is sin. The problem is, it's not easy to get rid of sin. It says it easily besets us. Other translations say it clings to us closely. Sin gets in the way of our being successful. It has a way of sticking around even when we don't want it to. But in order to be successful in this race, we have to learn how to deal with sin, how to cast off sin, to lay it aside as if it's a weight that's dragging us down. And this is where patience and endurance is so important. Even when we get rid of sin in our life, it can still come back and drag us down again. We have to develop the patience to deal with it over and over again. So what is this idea of patience? Again, another definition from Webster's Dictionary The idea of being patient is bearing pains or trials calmly or without complaint. Cambridge Dictionary says it's the ability to wait or to continue doing something despite difficulties or to suffer without complaining or becoming annoyed. I'm I'm sure we could probably all think of circumstances in our own life where we had to show patience because someone else was perhaps annoying us. Anyone can choose to show patience in a sort of one-off scenario, but to develop this, this characteristic in a consistent manner is far more challenging. To make patience or endurance a part of our character, a part of who we are, takes time. But it's a characteristic that God requires, and it's one that's worth striving for. The faithful of old had to develop this same characteristic as well. Speaking of Abraham, in Hebrews 6 verse 15 it said, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And of Moses in Hebrews 11 and 27 it says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And so if the faithful of old had to develop endurance, And Christ taught that it was necessary for salvation, it's certainly something that we should be concerned with as well. And in fact, endurance is a characteristic of God. I don't know if we necessarily think of it in those terms, but the Bible is pretty clear on this aspect. So let's just remind ourselves of some of these passages of the endurance of God. So, for instance, in Psalm 102, speaking of God himself, it says, But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. So it's God himself will endure forever. But so will his truth, in Psalm 100 and verse 5. His truth endureth to all generations. His glory will endure forever, Psalm 104 and 31. His righteousness will endure forever in Psalm 111, verse 3. His praise endureth forever in Psalm 111, verse 10. His righteous judgments endure forever in Psalm 119, verse 160. His name endures forever in Psalm 135. His mercy endures forever in Psalm 136. This is verse one, but actually it's in every verse in Psalm 136. His dominion endures throughout all generations. And finally, his word endures forever. And so really endurance is a part of who God is. But whereas endurance in relation to us is really much more temporary in nature. With God, it's eternal. It lasts forever. And so whether it's his righteousness, his mercy, or his word, God's endurance will last forever. And while we still pale in comparison, by developing endurance in our own life, we're, well, we're becoming more like him. And so we've, we've seen the importance of endurance, but what about trial. Why is trial a necessary part of the life of a disciple of Christ? Well, let's come back to the words of Hebrews chapter 12 to see how it describes the effect of trial. Hebrews chapter 12, if you're still there, if you come with me down to verse 7. It says there, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not. So God uses trial as a means to correct us, like a father would with his son. And then in verse 8 it says, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? Left to ourselves, we stray from the, word, from the way that God would have us to act. But through chastisement, as it says, or trial, we come to know how God wants us to change. And if you notice in verse 8, it says that all are partakers of trial. This really is not an optional endeavor. When we're corrected... By our natural fathers, although we most likely won't like it at the time, we come to appreciate and respect them because we realize it's for our own good. But our Father in Heaven has a far greater ability to know what it is that needs changing in our own life and how to go about making us realize that as well. In verse 10 it says, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So God's chastening is done for our profit. And although it's for our own good, chastening or trial is not pleasant. It's painful. It's grievous. And it's difficult. But it's through this difficulty and pain that we can grow. And when we're exercised or trained through trial, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And we can become partakers, as it says, of God's holiness. We can develop the characteristics of God in our lives now. But also if we're found pleasing in God's sight, he will truly make us partakers of his holiness at the return of Christ when we are given eternal life. But the key to this trial or chastening though is that we learn how to endure it. If we don't grow through the trials of life and instead blame God for our suffering, Then, well, it won't be of any profit to us because trial is designed to perfect us and not to crush us. The Apostle Paul learned this lesson time and time again in his own life. Come with me back to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, and we'll just pick up one occasion from the life of the Apostle Paul. Acts 14, verse 19, it says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. So after Paul and Barnabas preached to the people, some of the Jews persuaded the people to stone Paul, and they thought that he was dead. But in verse 20 it says, "Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And so to the great amazement of the disciples, Paul had been spared. He rose up and he went back into the city, the very place from which he had just come. And what was his message to the disciples, verse 22? confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we, through, that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Through much tribulation, we must enter into the kingdom of God. Paul had just been stoned, but that was not going to deter him. In his mind, it was really, it was just another trial to prepare him for the kingdom of God. And so that really brings us to our next question, and that is, how exactly does trial change us? And how does it build endurance? So perhaps it might uh, help to make a connection between physical and spiritual endurance. We already considered the two components that make up physical endurance. Remember, there was muscular endurance, or the ability of your muscles to work continuously without getting tired. But then there was also cardiovascular endurance, or the ability of your heart and lungs to fuel your body with oxygen. And it just so happens that there, well, there's two really main characteristics that are developed through trial, which are essential to spiritual endurance as well. And the first of those is patience. Patience, as we've seen, is somewhat synonymous with endurance, and the Greek word translated is translated as both patience and endurance. But how does trial build patience? For this, I think we have to come back to Romans chapter 5. If you'd come with me over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and we'll pick it up at verse 3. And it says here, and not only so, here's Paul speaking to the Romans, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. So here we're told quite plainly that tribulation produces patience but there's a process that's being described here. When the trials of life come, we are forced to patiently endure through much grief and heartache that comes on us. But this patience brings experience, an experience that showed that God, well, God would never leave us, that he was always there and that his way was the only way that would really bring true happiness. And then experience that brought about hope. The experience of life that shows to us that hope in things to come was the only real and lasting satisfaction that we can hope to experience. There was nothing to be ashamed of about this hope either. It was so far beyond anything that this life had to offer that it was worth patiently waiting for. And what's interesting is that while patience acts well, it acts much like a muscle. The more it's exercised, the better it works. But if it sits dormant and inactive, well, it's going to create a lot of soreness the next time it gets used. And the way patience gets exercised is through trial. And so even though trial might seem grievous, it's really it's the only way to really develop the patience that our Heavenly Father is looking for. But it's not just patience that trial develops. There's another characteristic, another key characteristic that trial is perfectly designed to create. And the Apostle Paul again describes this for us. If you come with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and at verse 8. It says there. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. We don't always think of the Apostle Paul in terms quite like this, but here his trial was so great that he even despaired of life. The ESV puts it this way, it says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. The burden that he carried was really beyond his strength to handle. And sometimes, well sometimes in life we can feel that way as well. As if there is no way we're going to be able to get through our trial. We might even despair of life, perhaps, and think that maybe it's not even worth living. And perhaps maybe even some of us here have experienced trials of this nature that made us feel like this. But if you have, you can take comfort in the fact that you're not alone, because the Apostle Paul felt this way as well. But what I think he says, what he says next is really quite important. And that's in verse 9. He says, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. Here really is a, quite a profound statement. He says, We had the sentence of death in ourselves. What, so what exactly does he mean by that? Well, of course, death is what we really deserve. Because we sin, we deserve death. And Romans chapter 6, verse 20, 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And so when Paul despaired of life itself and thought that it, it was, wasn't worth living, he remembered that, well, if he died, that's what he deserved. If it was left to us, we would have no hope of overcoming life. But thankfully, through the grace of God, we are not left to ourselves. Christ has overcome sin and provided a way by which we can be forgiven of our sins. And so when we despair of life, it's a reminder, as he says, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. Our trust needs to be in God and not in ourselves. Through our own strength, we have no power to overcome our trials. But through God's strength, we do. Because God has the power to raise us from the dead. And so even if we do die in our trials, it's only temporary because God can raise us again and so he continues in verse 10 and says who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us God had delivered Paul out of his trials in the past and he could do it again in the future but even if he didn't deliver him in his present trial there was a greater deliverance yet to come where he would be raised from the dead and truly delivered from the bondage of sin and death. And so here we have one of the key aspects that trial is designed to build in us, and that is trust in God and not in ourselves. When we have no power to deliver ourselves, we have to trust in God to deliver us and to submit to his will and not to our own. But of course, that's easier said than done getting through our trials enduring through them is not easy but there's one thing I think perhaps more than any other that can help us to get through trial and that is developing a vision of the future because that well that was how the Lord Jesus Christ endured his trial come with me back to Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews chapter 12, and we skipped over a key verse here in verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, and in verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we run the race that's set before us, as he says in verse 1, we can do so with patience because we have an example to follow after, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He was able to endure the cross because he had something set before him. It was the joy set before him. He had the joy of the future in his mind's eye, and he could see clearly the time, the day, when he would be set down at the right hand of his Father. And so when everything else seems bleak and we don't know if we can continue on, we can take strength in knowing that there is a much greater day yet to come, when we will no longer have to struggle through the trials of this life. The trials that we face now are only temporary. It doesn't matter what shame we might have to endure. It's really, well, it's nothing in comparison to what our Lord went through. And we're reminded of that in verse 3, it says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. If we become weary and faint in our minds, we need to remind ourselves of what the Lord Jesus Christ went through. We need to remind ourselves of what he endured at the hands of sinful men, of which he did not deserve. And it can help to put our own trials in perspective and to submit our own will or submit to god's will rather than our own and it can help us to trust in god rather than trusting in ourself but it's not always easy to determine the what the purpose of our trials is or perhaps even what we're intended to learn and sometimes our trials might not even be primarily for our growth. They might be for someone else's. Let me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and at verse 4. It says, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. As God comforts us when we are in tribulation, we might be able to, so we might be able to comfort others in trial. Through the difficulties that we experience in life, we can better appreciate what it's like to go through them. And having experienced trials ourselves, we're in a better position to help others and to comfort them in their time of need. And so not only can we comfort others in trial when we've experienced them ourselves, but trial, our trials can be helpful to others. It says in verse 6, "...whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer." Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And so he says, when we are afflicted, it is for others' consolation and salvation. They can see how that they were able to faithfully endure trials, or how we were able to faithfully endure trials in our own life. And that can help to strengthen and encourage them and spur them on to do the same in their life. And see now others handle themselves in trial, can often be a real source of encouragement for us to follow after. And so with that in mind, we're going to turn our attention to some examples of spiritual endurance. The first that we'd like to consider is the Apostle Peter. Peter, of course, was not always the mature apostle that we find when we come to him in his epistles. Peter had a lot to learn, much like we do, but he was willing to change through his experiences with the Lord Jesus Christ. So just to remind ourselves of this, if you come with me back to Matthew chapter 16, and here we find Peter and his interaction with the Lord Matthew 16 at verse 21 and it says there from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So Jesus was to undergo trial and suffer many things in his life and he warned his disciples that this was going to happen. And among them was Peter. But at this point in his life, this really was a foreign concept to him. In verse 22, it says, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Peter couldn't believe that someone like his Lord would have to undergo such things. Surely there was another way. And so, of course, Peter, in his impetuous fashion, rebukes the Lord Jesus Christ at the very thought of it but of course peter was mistaken and there was a reason that christ had to undergo these trials in verse 23 it says and he christ turned and said unto peter get thee behind me satan thou art an offense unto me for thou savest not the things that be of god but those that be of men peter was acting like an adversary as the word satan means He was an adversary to Christ by suggesting that these trials weren't necessary. Peter still had to learn the lesson of trusting in God rather than trusting in himself. And so Christ would remind him of that very thing. In verse 24 he says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If the disciples were going to follow Christ, They had to follow his example. They had to submit themselves to God's will and not their own. They had to submit to trial and put their trust in God. Well, Peter would learn from his time with the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the time Christ had died and risen again and ascended to his father, Peter was a changed man. And when we meet him again in the book of Acts, he too is willingly suffering in trial. Come with me over to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 and at verse 29 says there, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So here Peter had been threatened that he should stop preaching in the name of Christ. But he recognized that it was better to put his trust in God rather than men. And because of this, he submitted to trial that, well, he could have avoided otherwise. And so when you come down to verse 40, it says, And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Peter and the apostles were beaten for preaching in the name of Christ. But this would not deter them. In fact, it only emboldened them. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for Christ's name. And Peter later would write of this in his first epistle, in first Peter chapter two, at verse nineteen it says, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently, but if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God if we suffer wrongfully because of our conscience toward God and patiently endure through trial, it says this is acceptable with God. It's acceptable because we put our trust in God, regardless of what the outcome might be for us. We've done the right thing and not trusted in our own ability to get us out of trouble. And again, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says in verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Peter learned from the sufferings of Christ. And though he once thought they were unnecessary, he now rejoiced to be able to share them. He recognized that these trials were preparing him for a much greater day to come. That vision of the future when the glory of Christ will be revealed. And so while Scripture is really silent on the death of Peter, other sources tell us that he this, maintained the spirit of joy in trial to the end. And here's just one uh, account of of, from other sources of what occurred at the end of his life. It says tradition suggests that he visited Rome during the reign of Nero and a few years later suffered martyrdom by crucifixion as Christ had predicted he would in John 21. Legend has it that Peter deemed himself unworthy to die in exactly the same way as his Lord had and so begged his executioners to crucify him upside down which accordingly was done. Such was the example of the Apostle Peter. Well, the next example of trial that we'd like to consider comes from the life of James. And this is none other than the writer of the epistle, James, and commonly believed to be James, the Lord's brother. We don't know a lot about the life of James, but in his epistle he writes some very helpful comments on enduring through trial that I think are worth considering. Come with me over to the book of James and at chapter 1. James 1 and at verse 2. And it says there, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And so James has some very similar things to say about trial and endurance to both Peter and Paul. Experiencing trial is not something that we should avoid, but rather be joyful when we experience it. We can be joyful because we know that the trying of our faith is helping us to grow. It's helping us to build patience or endurance. And through the building of patience and trust in God, it's helping to perfect our character so that nothing is lacking, so that we can be found pleasing and acceptable in the sight of God. And so when we come down to verse 12, he says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. If we endure through trial, we will receive the crown of life that God has promised to us. The crown of life has been promised to all those who finish the race, to all those who endure to the end. One of the challenges of this race, though, is that, well, we don't know exactly how long it's going to be. Which is why we have to develop the patience and endurance to persevere to the end. And so we'll say in James chapter 5 at verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. We have to be patient and wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, because his coming is drawing nigh. It's near at hand. And now is not the time to give up on the race, but really to refocus our minds and to keep our minds fixed on our vision of the future, which will soon be realized. And with James too, Scripture is silent on his death, but other sources again relate that his patience and endurance was something that he lived in his own life to the end. I thought this was fascinating to see another account of the life, the end of the life of James. It says, finally James suffered for the faith he espoused, according to Josephus and Hegesippus, who was a Christian Jew who lived around about AD 160, and whose story Eusebius accepts, Ananias, the high priest with the scribes and Pharisees, taking advantage of the interim between the death of Festus and the arrival of the new governor, assembled the Sanhedrin and commanded James to come before it and denounce Jesus. According to Hegesippus, James obeyed the order to appear before that body, but instead of denouncing the Lord, he loudly proclaimed his belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the future judge of the world. He had been conducted to one of the galleries of the temple for the purpose of his confession, the Sanhedrin being convinced that he would capitulate, and the intention being that all assembled in the courts below should hear the abjuration. When instead, James boldly and loudly proclaimed his belief in the Lord, his enraged enemies flung him down to the court below and there began to stone him. A priest tried to stop the murder, but a fuller ended his sufferings and his life with a club. It is declared that he died, crying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Such was the spirit of and the patience of those who had been with Jesus. It transformed their lives, and it gave them a power to endure through trial, unlike anything this world has to offer. And it's the same spirit that we need to emulate and to seek to build in our own lives as we learn to put our trust in our Heavenly Father rather than ourselves. So our last example of endurance is none other than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was no stranger to trial. He certainly had his fair share of experiences with it. And we've already considered much of his teaching on the subject, but with Paul, we do actually have recorded for us many of the occasions when he had to endure through trial in his own life. Unless we think that, you know, sometimes things seem difficult in our own life, it's helpful just to consider some of what he went through. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul reminds them of the trials he had experienced. Come with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11 and at verse 23 it says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the ecclesias. Paul had experienced trials that many of us will never truly appreciate. And if there was ever a need for endurance through trial, there was certainly opportunity for it in the life of Paul. But what's more important, I think, than the list of what things he endured was his attitude towards it. In 2nd Corinthians 4 and verse 17 it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And for all that Paul experienced, he could still say it was but a light affliction that only lasts for a moment but how true that is when compared with eternity the fleeting trials that we experience now are nothing in comparison with eternal life that exceeding and eternal weight of glory and so let's just consider one final passage of the Apostle Paul in relation to God's purpose with trial and that's in none other than Romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8 and at verse 18 and it says there for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us the suffering and trial that we experience now can't even be compared with the glory which awaits us in the kingdom age there is a purpose in trial which is far greater than the temporary pain that we might experience now and so if we jump down to verse 28, it says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Trial is designed to perfect us, to work in us for our good according to the purpose of God, that we may be, might be made more like him and be found pleasing in his sight, that we might learn to put our trust in God, raiseth from the dead and not in ourselves and if we can learn the secret of endurance through trial there's nothing in this life that can separate us from the love of God which he will give those who trust in him verse 35 who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long